This morning, if it's okay with you, we're just going to spend time on this psalm, Psalm 97, and we're going to focus on the Word this morning, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause Jesus to be glorified, God, that you would be exalted and magnified through the sharing of this message, we pray in the name of Jesus, Amen. Now it says in Psalm 97, it says, the Lord reigns. Can we say those three words together? The Lord reigns. One more time. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Clouds and darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. (laughs) I'm so glad that we serve the God who has as His foundation righteousness and justice. Wow. It says a fire goes before Him and burns up His enemies round about. His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax. At the presence of the Lord. That's how great our God is. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare His righteousness. And all peoples see His glory. Let all be put to shame who serve carved images. Who boast of idols. Worship Him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice. Because of your judgments, O Lord. Now this is the key verse, verse 9. For you, O Lord, are most high above all the earth. That's the title of this message this morning. The God who is above all. Here the scripture says, For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. You who love the Lord hate evil. He preserves the souls of the saints. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. almost want to say, like in some churches, the Lord bless the reading of His holy word. Psalm 97, what a beautiful psalm. There's five aspects that I'd like to touch on this morning around this. Number one, God has always and will always be in control. There is no two ways about it, no 116 ways about it. No, no, no. God has always and He will always be in control. Whether some people like it or not. It doesn't change the fact that the Lord reigns. Which Lord? The Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Our God, the God that we serve. He has always and He will always be in charge. Verse 1 says, the Lord reigns. Other translations say, the Lord is king. Or the Lord rules as king. Any which way you look at it, He is in charge. He is not out of control. 
He is ultimately in total and complete control. Now, then somebody might, might say the following, well, if God is in control, then why do terrible things often happen in this world? And the answer is this, that God is busy executing His infinitely wise plan of salvation of mankind. And part of that plan requires that human beings get a free will. And that's where the problem comes in. That free will can be wonderfully used to glorify God, to live for God. That free will can be used to wreak the most terrible, terrible things, the most terrible kind of destruction. But you know what? God in His infinite wisdom has allowed man to have a free will because He wants us to choose to serve. Choose this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now God proved He was in control when He created the heavens and the earth. He proved He was in control when He destroyed the earth with a flood. He proved He was in control when He parted the Red Sea. The most amazing thing. He proved He was in control when He spoke. Jesus spoke to the raging sea and it was stilled. And people around about there said, Who is this man? Even the waves and the wind and the sea obey Him. Why? Because He's in control. Because He's the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. He proved He was in control when Jesus was raised from the dead. And through countless other miracles that we see in Scripture, He proved that He is in control. Now, can you think of an experience, if you, as you look over the course of your life, can you think of an experience where God showed Himself to be in control? Where the sovereignty of God became, wow, you actually realized God was in control. I can think of a very good example, and that's the transition of this country at the time of 1994. What did God do? Because of the prayers of the church in this country and across the world, I believe that major bloodshed was averted and avoided, and God brought astounding levels of peace that the world could not believe it. But it was as a result of God's people praying that the peace came about. What was that? It was God showing, I'm in control. And if my people will do something, then I will bring healing to the nation. God demonstrated to us as a country that He is in control. Uh, a more recent instance that I'm aware of, which is on a much smaller scale, but Mandri and I were having supper with uh, a couple in the congregation in the early part of December. And while we were there, uh, as we arrived, I could see with this couple that the lady, she was a little bit on edge. She wasn't looking too happy. And as we spoke to her, we discovered that, no, her family down in Gordon's Bay in the Western Cape area, that they, uh, their house was under threat of being burnt by fire. 
because, you know, over December and even more recently, there was lots of uh, severe fires in the Western Cape. And when that boss begins to burn, man, oh man, it can really cause major damage. And so we saw that she was uneasy and, and her family down there had taken all their valuable possessions out of the house. By the way, they were on the perimeter up against the mountain, from what I can understand, of the residential area. They had taken valuables and photos and things out and put them in another house where it was safe. And then during the course of the evening, another call came through and it was now more urgent that it looked like the situation was really going to happen and the fire was going to burn down the house. And just us that were there, we began to pray. But also I'm sure that many other people were praying as well because they had alerted all their family and friends and they're a family that loves the Lord. But you know what the end of result was? The house next door was totally gutted. But their house was not affected by the fire. The flames tried to lap up onto the roof, but it didn't get to take the house. The house next door was gutted. And I believe that was God showing, I'm in control. And when my people pray, I can do the most remarkable things. You've got to admit, that's quite remarkable. But it was because people began to pray. Number one, God has always and will always be in control. Number two, Even the most overwhelming obstacle can be wiped out in the presence of the Lord. It says in uh, Psalm 97, verse 4 and 5, it says, His lightnings light the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. I remember a situation one day where I was standing outside the house with my dad, and he had been working in the workshop. My dad loved to work on things and potter around. And I'd also been busy with him in the workshop. And next thing from the east of the city, because we could kind of see over the area towards Ferry Glen, Hosfontein, and so on, there was a very, very severe thunderstorm coming. And you could just see this wall of hail and rain coming at you big time. It was loud. And I remember with my dad standing, looking at this. And and I saw my dad get like a little bit of a holy anger in him. And he addressed the storm. And he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command that storm to stop and to dissipate in Jesus. I was standing next to him. Oh, dad, what's that? But you know what? That storm virtually didn't move any further. And it dissipated. It was quite amazing because it was just coming, coming, coming. And he spoke to the storm. I believe in the authority of the presence of God. And as a result, that storm dissipated. To me, that's the kind of thing that we as believers should even be able to do. I know of stories where Angus Buckham has gone to areas where there's been severe drought. And he would get the guys to humble themselves and pray. And then they would pray and say, God, let rain come. And rain began to come. I want to tell you, those kind of severe obstacles, when the presence of the Lord gets released into the situation, they can melt like wax. They really can. Another example I'd like to give is also around the 1994 period. You would probably remember that there was some unrest in KZN prior to the elections. But I remember my dad telling me a story, but basically it was the two factions were coming together 
for a meeting to try to facilitate peace. And they had some of the clergy and some of the community leaders there to try to facilitate peace. But you know what? This meeting was going south. It wasn't working. People were getting riled, getting angry. And it seemed like the very thing that was hoped to bring peace was now going to be even further reactions. But then there was a particular pastor in that meeting. I won't mention his name. But he stood up under the presence of the Lord and under the anointing of the Lord. And this pastor spoke. And it was just as though he was the mouthpiece of the Lord. And he brought peace and calm and direction in that meeting. The warring factions were... Peace came into that meeting and a successful resolution came about as a result of that. Now, there was another pastor in the meeting and he testified to my dad. He said, you know what? As that man got up and began to talk, it was like the very presence of God entered that room. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Have you been in a situation where you've been distraught? You've been so churned up about something and you've gone and you've spent a few minutes, maybe just with a worship CD and a cup of coffee, just being with the Lord. And it's amazing how things can just come into alignment and those obstacles can be settled. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Even the most overwhelming obstacle, number two, can be wiped out in the presence of God. Number three, very important, our God is the God who is above all. Can we say those two words? Above all. Now read verse 7 to verse 9 of Psalm 97. It says, Let all be put to shame who served carved images, carved images, who boast of idols. Worship Him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For the Lord, sorry, for you, Lord, are most high. I love this. Say it with me. Above all the earth. You are exalted far, say it with me, above all gods. Now, just to say, those that worship other gods or worship idols are engaging themselves according to the Word of God, in futile endeavors. But you say, what about the millions of people that subscribe to this religion or to that religion? And, and you know, John, how, how can this be? Because, you know, surely, because they really mean what they're doing and there's a sincerity in their heart, surely, I mean, something must be said of that. Well, the Bible makes it clear that there is one name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. One name. What is that name? And even though people can be sincere in their endeavors, as the cliche goes, they can be sincerely wrong. What did Jesus say? In John 14 verse 16, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except by me. You see, Christianity is an exclusive religion because God is exclusively God. Can I have an amen on that? Christianity is an exclusive religion because God and God alone is God. And like when the scripture says, there is no one like our God. In all of the heavens, in all of the earth, there is no one like our God. Now, I've been aware of situations in this city where pastors in the city have been invited, let's say by the mayor or other leaders in, in government and so on, pastors in the city have been invited to interfaith meetings. They've been invited to interfaith sometimes prayer meetings. Now I'm trying to picture this. You get invited to one of these meetings and here the Buddhist gets up and prays. The Baha'i faith gets up and prays. The Muslim gets up and prays. The Christian gets up and prays. And I'm thinking, I wonder how God feels about that. I'm of the opinion that God doesn't share his stage with anybody. God does not share his stage with anybody because there is only one way to the Father, and that's by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so, I mean, what would you do in that situation? Because, yes, you want to be involved in the community and so on, but there's certain lines that you cannot cross. The fact is that we cannot go and pray together with other religions and other beliefs. Not at all. Because our God is above all. There is simply no comparison between our God and those of the so-called gods who are not actually gods, but He is above all. I love that song. For Thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all God. It's a bit low. <laughs> he is exalted far above. I believe that certain songs that really focus on exalting God stick around for much longer because there's something about declaring the greatness of God that causes our hearts to rejoice within us. So number three, to make that clear, our God is the God who is above all. Number four and number five are, are brief points. Number four, we should reject things that are not of God. It says in verse 10 there, You who love the Lord hate evil. Do you know that the psalm is actually giving you an instruction to hate something? And I'm, and I'm echoing this to you today. I'm saying, hey, people in this church, people who attend or members of this church, people who love the Lord, I want to say to you, hate evil. And as you choose to hate evil, oh, God loves that. Because that's what God does. He hates what is wicked. He hates what is unrighteous. And so we need to make a choice to do that. It says in Romans 12 verse 9, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Psalm 34, 14, turn away from evil and do good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, abstain from every form of evil. You see, the thing is, if you hate something, you're less likely to get caught up in it. And here's the thing, God can only free you from your enemies, not from your friends. 
And so if you choose to see unrighteousness as enemy number one, well, God can free you from those things. So that's number four. We should reject things that are not of God. Number five is as God's people, very simple point, as God's people, we can rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Now let's just read it there. It says in verse 11 and 12, light is sown for the righteous. Just to comment on that, if light is sown for you as the righteous, light that is sown speaks of blessing, it speaks of truth, it speaks of God's goodness, then a harvest of that light, of blessing, of God's goodness, of truth, will be coming to you. It says, light is sown for the righteous. And gladness is also sown for the upright in heart. If gladness has been sown for you, if you sow gladness, what is going to be reaped? A harvest of gladness. This is what it should be for the people of God. It says, light is sown for the righteous. And gladness for the upright in heart. Verse 12, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. And give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. You see, to put this in context, why does the psalm end off saying, Rejoice in the Lord and, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name? Very simply this, this psalm is calling for a response. And it is saying the following, as we've read the preceding verses, and we discover that our God is the one and only true living God, we should rejoice and we should be glad as we discover that He is the God that is above all gods. The response from our side should be, we're on the right track, praise God, we're going to rejoice because our God is the one and only true living God. He is above all gods. The result of reading this psalm should be rejoicing in our heart. It should be giving thanks. Because if we were to read something and to discover we're on the wrong track, we're not going to heaven, we're totally missing the boat, you'd have to discover there's problems. We need to sort this out. We need to get on track. But now as we discover, well, we're serving the God of heaven and earth the God who is above all, the result that comes about in our hearts is rejoicing. The result that comes about in our hearts is gratefulness to the Lord. How many of you, when you realize that God is above all, there's gratefulness in your hearts? Won't you raise your hand? Now, 